Good evening and welcome to chapel. We're glad that you're here. This is a very special chapel this year in, in the series of services. We have three services this week instead of four, but we're celebrating Advent. And many of you are probably aware that Advent is normally celebrated in the four Sundays leading up to December 25th. But since we only had three chapel services this week due to some conflicts and other schedules, uh, we combined two of the themes last evening and got off to a great start. And then we will follow through with the other two themes this evening. How many of you grew up in a church that did not celebrate Advent? Can I see your hands? Ah. So your church was like mine. We figured that was something that just really big churches did or something, I suppose. But I learned about Advent at Nazarene Bible College as a student here and so glad that I did and found it to be so very meaningful for all the churches where I pastored. And we hope it will be meaningful for you as well as it helps us to focus on the true meaning of Christmas. Our speaker this evening who will be bringing the word to us is Dr. Tom King, our Old Testament professor, and I want to announce him now so when it's time to preach, we don't interrupt the flow of the service. Dr. King, we're glad that you're here this evening. We're looking forward to a good word from the Lord. Now as we worship together, we'll begin with the Advent candle celebration, and the Brad Griffin family will lead us in that. God will send his Messiah, and we will restore the joy of his people, a joy for all to receive. Now hear the word of the Lord. Zephaniah three fourteen through 17 says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord... The king of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Then in Isaiah 12, 2 through 6. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim what his name is that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Then in Philippians 4, 4 through 7, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus.
Tonight I light the third candle, the candle of joy. When Jesus came, the angels proclaimed, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior has been born. The long-anticipated joy has come. God fills our hearts this very day with a joy that only He can give. It's an eternal joy. And Jesus shall come again, and every heart will be made glad forever. Celebrate and praise His name, for He has come to fill you with His joy. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let us praise his name. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to gather here in your house. We thank you for this season. We thank you for what it means to us. And Lord, I just pray that you would put that meaning on all of our hearts. We pray that you will be glorified, that the true reason for the season will be evident to us. Help us as we go through today, be with Dr. King as he brings us this message, and I pray that you would lead, guide, and direct us in all that we say and do. For in your holy name we pray, amen. We'll continue singing traditional carols, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, for the little town of Bethlehem. And then my pastor is going to come sing for us, Down from His Glory. Let's all stand and sing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Thank you, Pastor. Our scripture text is from Isaiah 35. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Isaiah chapter 35. The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Aravah will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf, deaf will be unstopped. And the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah, and the scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. 
and a highway will be there, a roadway. It will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. You may be seated. During the formative years of junior high and high school and undergraduate education, I grew up in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. In the process of growing webbed feet, I developed a great love for Western Oregon. Go Ducks! <clears throat> Sorry. Sorry, that, uh, that was not on the manuscript. What I'm really concerned about is that I wanted to share that the lush greenery, evident in the carpets of moss and the layers of fern, the thick stands of fir trees, the plush vines and the evergreens, all of these became an overwhelming environment of beauty and natural wealth in my mind. The grandeur of the Pacific Ocean, the fertility of the river-fed valleys, the majesty of the Cascade Mountains, all etched an unparalleled graphic of God's glory and creation upon my heart. Now in time, I developed a greater awareness of the diversity in geography after I was married and moved my family about the country. While living in Texas, I drove one summer from Fort Worth to El Paso and back. The hot, dry, flat land of West Texas existed in stark contrast to that plush plant life in Western Oregon. Later, upon moving to Nevada, I soon recognized that even West Texas appeared fertile <laughs> compared to the barrenness of the Nevada wilderness. My description of West Texas as dry is misleading when compared to the single-digit humidity typical in Nevada. I remember the first time that I went out for a run in Nevada and I tried to take a deep breath. I felt my lungs wither and crack. <laughs> Thinking I had reached the extreme environmental opposite of Western Oregon, I had my senses awakened once again when my family took a little vacation to that very famous valley in Southern California. I understand why it's called Death Valley. <laughs> I've often wondered if perhaps Elijah was transported there for his vision of those dry bones. <laughs> Having been raised in the heart of the Willamette Valley, I can think of no reason to return to the blistering heat and forsaken landscape of that valley of death. My memories of the places I've lived and visited have contributed to my understanding of the opening verses in Isaiah 35. We read that the wilderness, the desert, 
the Arabah will blossom and be given glory like that of Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon. The Arabah refers to the Jordan Rift and especially to that region south of the Dead Sea. Notice the term dead or death again in relation to wilderness and desert. The prophet is referring to a dry, barren, forsaken landscape. In contrast, ancient Lebanon is known as a luxuriant, well-forested area. Mount Carmel is recognized as richly wooded. And Mount Carmel slopes down into the plain of Sharon, which consisted of fertile fields and flowers. In these verses, the prophet is proclaiming a miraculous transformation. A transformation in which barren land will become covered with thick forest, and infertile fields will become lush pasture land. It would be like announcing that Death Valley, California has been transformed into the likeness of the Willamette Valley in Oregon. The result of this dramatic change announced by Isaiah is that the area will rejoice with rejoicing and shout of joy. So what's the meaning behind this dramatic metaphor of geographic transformation? Of what is the prophet speaking? If we look to the context immediately preceding the previous chapter of Isaiah, consists of a judgment oracle against Edom. Historically, Edom had long been a rival of the children of Israel. During the destruction of Jerusalem at the hands of Babylon, Edom eagerly joined in looting the religious and political capital of Judah. Throughout the history of ancient Judah, Edom normally controlled the key trade route running north and south on the east side of the Dead Sea. This caused danger and distress for Israelite pilgrims attempting to reach Jerusalem on that major highway. In addition, at the time when the Judean exiles were free to return to the Promised Land, after being confined in Babylon as exiles, Edom posed a continuing threat to reaching the cherished homeland. Thus, the prophet's announcement of God's judgment against Edom would readily be a source of transformation and joy in the lives of the Judeans. However, more than simply just providing a sense of relief from foreign oppression, God is announcing a dramatic experience of renewal and salvation for God's people. The metaphor of blossoms in the desert speaks not only of political changes that God is bringing about, but also personal transformation in the lives of all those who acknowledge God. Think about it. How often have we longed for change in our own spiritual and physical environment? Consider the times when perhaps you have felt dry or forsaken during, due to an overloaded schedule, tense relationships, or empty devotional experiences. How often I have strained to gain renewal 
and strength to maintain a healthy and holy life before God and my community, and yet felt constantly oppressed by the pressures, the temptations, the limitations of this world. If only we could be transformed, like a wilderness being changed into a dense forest. Thanks be to God. That's exactly the kind of miracle God has announced through the prophet. That kind of change is echoed in Paul's exhortation in Romans 12. Be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind. In verses 3 to 6 of Isaiah 35, the prophet addresses the exhausted, the feeble, the anxious, the blind, the deaf, and the lame. These needy groups are called to courage, given strength and promised salvation and healing. In a literal sense, it can be seen that the prophet's encouragement is for those pilgrims traveling to Jerusalem to exercise their faith in the presence of God. In the light of God's judgment, having removed Edom, even the weak and the disabled can make their way to the city of God's presence. Furthermore, the passage can be understood as an announcement of miraculous healing in which the blind are enabled to see, the deaf are, speak, are made to hear, and the lame, uh, the lame empowered to walk and to leap. As a metaphor, this portion of the text can be understood as a reference to the spiritual condition of the children of Israel. Thus the prophet announces that Israel will be set free from skepticism and error and their lack of comprehending the will of God. Each of these understandings carries meaning for the faithful pilgrim who seeks God's presence. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter Eleven, verse 5, and in Luke chapter 7, verse 22, Jesus responds to the question of whether he was the expected one. And in his response, Jesus alludes to this very passage in Isaiah by proclaiming that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. Thereby, Jesus points to these miracles as signs of the presence of the expected one, the Messiah of God in himself. Jesus implies a new sense of fulfillment for Isaiah's prophetic word. We can see in Christ not only the literal healing of disabled bodies, but also spiritual release from the bondage of sin and ignorance about God's ways. This becomes our hope drawn from the word of Isaiah. As God brought encouragement, healing, and salvation to the children of ancient Israel, now through Christ, God brings the same salvation to all today. As God's action on behalf of Israel cleared the way for the pilgrimage to the presence of God, even so God's action in Jesus makes a way for us to enter into the presence of God. The text of Isaiah 35 is commonly understood as an apocalyptic passage, reflecting the coming new age characterized by God's kingdom. Thus, the prophetic word is not only hope and salvation, 
but it speaks of the greater reality of God's kingdom yet to be fully manifested. A kingdom which indeed can be described as delivering such power as that which may transform a barren wilderness into a lush forest and which brings courage and healing and salvation to the afflicted. As Jesus so often claimed the kingdom of God is at hand, he, Christ, becomes the initial entry point of this new age pictured in Isaiah. In the coming of the Christ child, we greet the initial installment of the final manifestation of Isaiah's picture of the greater reality of God's kingdom. Verse 8 of Isaiah 35 introduces a highway of holiness upon which will walk the redeemed of the Lord. In its original setting, the picture appears to be that of safe passage for exiles returning from Babylon and for pilgrims making their way to Jerusalem. However, the terminology at the end of the oracle itself appears to expand the application of the metaphor. Everlasting joy and the elimination of sorrow and sighing depict a more permanent path on the road to Zion and to the presence of God. The prophet proclaims a way for the redeemed to safely reach God from this time forth. It's been argued that the miraculous abundance of life and luxuriant vegetation depicted in this oracle mark the coming of this eschatological age. It is entered through this holy highway, a highway from which has been removed all threat against the redeemed of the Lord. As the text assures us, no lion will be on that path, no vicious beast will be found there. As previously noted, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke cite Jesus quoting the earlier portion of this passage as a sign of the expected one, now being fulfilled in Christ. We know the further testimony of the Gospels which affirm that Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is in fact God in the flesh. Jesus proclaims that with his presence the kingdom of God is at hand. These New Testament connections point us to a greater fulfillment of Isaiah's passage. Jesus can be seen as the way to God as this highway of holiness. Christ is the permanent and everlasting path to the presence of God. Christ provides the assurance of safety and freedom from the threats of violence and sin and guilt and any burden which may have previously bound us. So here we are in the midst of yet another Advent season. Listen, I, I can hear the sounds of our joy ringing through the hallways of our homes. Honey, will you have the kids turn down that blasted TV? I'm trying to finish this exegetical paper. It's already late and the professor refused an incomplete. 
My stress levels are going through the roof. I still have to balance the checkbook. We've been $1,000 in debt in our visa for at least six months. I know the garbage has to be taken out. I don't have time to turn around. I need to fill out these forms for the boss at work. I'm supposed to preach next week. I haven't even started this sermon. What do you mean our son needs a ride all the way across town right now? Of course I'm glad it's the Christmas season. Can't you hear the joy? Our own wilderness is not always depicted by the terms barren, forsaken, and empty. Often our contemporary wilderness is experienced as overrun, overcrowded, overwhelmed. Demands, deadlines, pressures, stress, anxieties, failures, guilt. All these and more end up compromising our health and alienating our relationships with God and others. In the end, it probably is appropriate to use the terms barren and forsaken and empty. I pray we can take courage and receive renewal from the words of Isaiah and their greater fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Allow God to work that miracle of turning your desert into glorious blossom and everlasting joy. I don't know any secret methods or hidden pathways to this transformation except through surrender to Christ. Amen. The text of Isaiah 35 doesn't point to any special formula or any steps of action to be taken by the redeemed. It merely announces with confidence the miracle of transformation which God is bringing. As often as I have strained to discipline myself and to walk aright, I find myself continually surrendering, depending on Christ to bring this miracle of renewal. Jesus is the highway of holiness bringing us to the presence of God, transforming us with everlasting joy. It is a joy which sometimes bursts forth in exaltation, yet at other times it simply sustains us with quiet assurance and peace, even through the most difficult times. So let's take a moment at the beginning of this Advent season. I invite you to to come and join me at the altar. Let's take a moment. Let's pray for this transforming miracle. Let's kneel at the altar together and ask that we might trade in our stress, our anxiety, our pressures and demands for that blossom, that, that transformation that brings peace and joy that carries us through any circumstance. I invite you to come and join me at the altar. Come and pray. Our Lord, we are overwhelmed by your coming to earth in Christ as a child.
And Lord, we carry with us the demands and the stresses and the pressures and the anxieties and the fears and the failures that we have experienced in our lives that, that tend to bind us and paralyze us in so many ways. And Lord, we place these at your feet. We ask, Lord, for your transforming miracle that you might bring into our hearts and minds blossoms, refreshing waters, renewal, your special peace that is beyond our understanding. We pray that you would relieve us of all our anxieties and stresses, that you would fill us with the peace of your wondrous grace, your marvelous presence. Transform us by renewing our minds. Align us with your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank God for his coming in the Christ child. Let us celebrate this season of God's miracle and renewal which comes with Christ. For our benediction, hear again the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, this time from chapter 40. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Go forth and greet the advent of your renewal as we celebrate this season of Christ's coming to earth. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>